This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is back in a couple of days. I'm sure you want to know, like I do, how Brampton became party town on the weekend while we are still in a pandemic. Let's go to the man with the answers, Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown. Thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Mayor, please give us the backstory about this party of 200 in a house while Brampton is still in stage two of reopening. Well, uh, I would say the vast majority of the city is listening to public health. Uh, They're being careful. They're sacrificing. They're looking at the betterment of the community. Unfortunately, we had uh, a few idiots that decided to have a party during uh, a pandemic, which is selfish, irresponsible and reckless. Um, and so now they're going to face a very expensive uh, fine. Um, but it's, you know, it's infuriating. It makes you want to pull your hair out because we can't have people um, hampering the collective efforts of everyone else. It's a petri dish uh, for uh, the virus to circulate when you have that many people in an enclosed area. I think it's really important that as mayor of Brampton, you're as ticked off about this as people who probably live around that home. Yeah, and you know what? That's why it, it got exposed. Like, you know, they they were trying to conceal it. They were trying to put up some barriers so people couldn't see in. Uh, but I don't know what they're thinking. Obviously, the, the amount of cars parked was going to be uh, a huge red flag, and they, and the neighbors called in. The neighbors reported to bylaw and, and PRP. We we don't want that in our community. We want people to abide by the advice of health professionals. We're in stage two. You can't have that many people in your home. It's not. It's not appropriate. Um, I remember when we first came out with our emergency uh, bylaw that had fines that go up to a hundred thousand. I was asked the question: Could I envision a scenario where a hundred thousand dollar fine would be levied? And I said it would have to be pretty egregious. Well, this is why we have such uh, a range of, of fines because there will be egregious examples. And 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 this is an example of one that is going to be one of the much higher fines. Ultimately. It's going to go to the court because a fine of this size, um, there's procedural um, requirements and they'll be able to present their, the, the charge will be able to present their their case. But, you know, frankly, the evidence is irre- irrefutable and, you know, they're going to be owners of a, a $100,000 fine. Mayor Brown, uh, there were reports suggesting that fines of around 700 or $800 uh, were already given out. Is that the case, or are waiting through the, uh, for this to go through the court process? No. So um, if, if, if you're going to be given a fine of $800, they give it to you on the spot. If it's more of an egregious fine, it gets referred directly to the courts, and there's a summons to appear, and that's what happened in this case. Okay. Uh, now, without divulging, um, I guess, the privacy of the accused, were, are the young people, were they organizing this party? Were parents away? Were they, you know, were they, what's the dynamic here? Well, I understand it was predominantly 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, um, and my message to, to them is you may not appreciate the severity of the virus on you, um, but each single person that went to that party, they're putting their parents, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles, their neighbors at risk. It is selfish um, and it is reckless. 
But Mayor, this you've been saying this, other epidemiologists have been saying this, Mayor Tory's been saying this as well. Um, maybe the messaging needs to be changed. Uh, wondering if this ends up being a huge fine scenario, if that might provide a real message of discouragement. Yeah, and, and, and I do believe uh, one of the strongest forms of deterrence is uh, when you hit their pocketbooks. And, uh, you know, warnings only do so much, and, and it's why... You know, I've got no problem justifying why we made our fines have such a, a, a wide range and, and why the upper end is so high, because there has to be real teeth and consequences to, to some of this behavior. And, you know, let this be an example. I hope other people who are thinking of putting a party on on a long weekend look at this example and know you will get caught, you will be exposed, and it will hurt uh, It will hurt significantly financially. And this was not the only party going on on the weekend, right, in Brampton? No, we had, we had three parties where we laid... Uh, charges it. Um, uh, this was obviously the largest, but there was uh, uh, three parties, and one of them was an Airbnb rental, which is just, uh, imagine being that property owner and coming home to that. And a lot of the similar kinds of parties have been held in Ottawa as well, with real examples of COVID-19 spreading as a result of these tight mm-hmm. gatherings. Yeah, and we try to do our best to, to contact trace. You know, we, we've got a medical officer, Health Lawrence Lowe, who's very aggressive on contact tracing. Part of the challenge in these scenarios is that when the police and the bylaw shows up, people run, people flee, and so you don't get an accurate list of who attended uh, the party, which means that there's risk out there in the community after the party. Uh, Dr. Ray Dianandon is going to join us uh, here in a couple of minutes to kind of give us the headspace around the young adults who, uh, it doesn't seem like they have COVID fatigue anymore. They have COVID exhaustion, like they're just, they're completely finished with it because they are just flouting the rules completely. Um, Is there any kind of positive way you can speak to the young adults so that they can feel that they can still socialize, but by keeping physical distancing top of mind. Yeah, and I struggle why some people um, we, we've been unable to get through. You look at previous generations and the sacrifices they've had to make, and you, you look at World War II, you look at the first uh, uh, influenza, there's been great sacrifices over time, and all we're asking people is to stay at home. You know, this will be over. This is going to be over, um, you know, hopefully early uh, next year, uh, and the notion that we, we can't have that type of co- collaboration um, is infuriating. No, absolutely. Uh, Mayor Brown, I've got a caller here who's waiting to go on hold, but she's asking, Is oh, well, I'll let her ask. She's on hold now. Eileen in Brampton, go ahead. You have a question for your mayor? I am so angry to hear this as a 68-year-old person who has been in a grocery store exactly once since March because my daughter does my grocery. And when what is it about the Peel region exactly that we are in such a dire situation? There has to be a specific, and this is one of them, these idiots. I'd like to know, Mr. Mayor, when are you not going to give people the option of going into a grocery store and deciding they don't have to wear a mask if they don't want to? Mayor Brown, to you. Yeah, so we've already uh, adopted a mandatory mask uh, policy. Um, we did that uh, in collaboration with all the GTHA mayors. Um, we asked the province to bring that policy in. When they didn't, we did it on our own. Um, so we do have a mandatory mask policy in place. And I can tell you in Brampton, 
um, because we have a large food processing sector of essential workers, we knew that we were at a greater risk. And so we were the first transit system in the GTA to bring a mandatory mask to our transit system as well. So, you know, we are taking um, uh, a strict approach and we just need to continue to put to to make examples of these um, reckless individuals that are not being team players. And, you know, when the caller talks about her sacrifice of only being a grocery store once, you know, I, I, I can relate. You know, I've been doing grocery shopping for my parents uh, because I don't want them to have the risk. You know, my grandmother is 106 and she was in a long-term care home where half the residents died. And the notion that, um, that people are, are causing risk to more vulnerable members of our community, I think in my own family, and it just it makes you want to pull your hair out. Mayor, did your, did your grandmother end up uh, contracting the virus? No, she fortunately she she didn't. But uh, uh, it was a scary period. You know, right now at her long term care home, there's now no cases. But you know, at one point, um, it was uh, it was one of the worst one of the worst hit in the province. Well, I know you have to go, but we have another Bramptonian who wants to uh, chat with you, Dennis. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. First off, uh, Mayor Brown, I want to say how proud I am of you personally and the council in terms of how you've dealt with this issue. Unfortunately. Uh, we have the problems that we had on the weekend. And frankly, as a Brampton resident, it's an embarrassment for the entire community. People say, oh, there goes Brampton again. And uh, I, I, I guess my suggestion in all of this is, is as community members, when we observe this kind of thing going on, it's incumbent upon us to let the uh, appropriate authorities know that this is happening because you can't do it alone. And those are my comments. Okay, yeah. thank you, Dennis. Thanks for calling in. Final word to you, Mayor Brown. Well, I couldn't agree more, and um, thank you for everyone that has been doing um, their part. And, uh, you know, hopefully um, this, uh, this reckless example will serve as a reminder to others. You can't get away with this. You will be exposed. You will be called out, and um, it's going to be costly for you. Don't be selfish. Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, thanks for making time for us today. Up next, a comment, uh, one of our regular epidemiologists during the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. Ray Dianandon, also associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Thank you, Dr. Ray, for joining us again. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Are you surprised by these parties that are popping up in the GTA in Ottawa, hundreds of people in this most recent one? I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm disappointed, but not surprised. And, And why are you not surprised? Well, part of it is we're rewriting the public health communications textbook in real time in the wake of this pandemic, and the things that worked in previous health emergencies are not working or applicable now. And the extent to which we failed that messaging is manifesting now in these behaviors. So we have this this element of um, people misunderstanding this disease. They think it's an old people's disease, so if you're young, you're not susceptible, which is not true. You are susceptible, just to a lesser extent. And more importantly, as we know, you can transmit it to other people who are even more susceptible. So the, the aspect of heroism has been missed from the messaging. And um, we, we need to focus on the carrot and the stick. The, the stick is the scolding, you know, telling people they're being bad and mm-hmm. using the law to compel certain behavior. But the carrot is missing. That is, you can be heroic 
by being at home. You can be heroic and save lives if you distance yourself. Now, the combination of carrot and stick will work for most people, but there's going to be that intransigent small sector of individuals who will still behave poorly. And for them, that's, that's the problem. And fortunately, with this disease, it's not really tolerant of a lot of deviation from the plan. So it is, it is deeply worrying, and uh, we are struggling all the time with how to deploy the messaging more, more effectively. And do you think some form of that messaging of heroism might work on those who are in their 20s and 30s who seem at the moment to be the ones suffering the most COVID fatigue? I think for the younger ones, like the teenagers, that seems to resonate with them, believe it or not, and the early 20s. It's the late 20s, early 30s that maybe do not respond as well to that kind of narrative. And uh, the COVID fatigue is a real thing. It's, uh, I, I am sympathetic, especially to young single people who need to get out and socialize and to be intimate with strangers. But it's part of it is the misinformation campaign that makes our job so hard. This is, the misinformation campaign includes things like people saying it's not as bad as the flu or I can't die of it or it's overblown or the first wave is over. So what are we worried about? So if it weren't for that enormous hurdle of bad information and outright lies that occur in social media to a large extent, we would have an easier job. But that's the challenge right now is countering the counter-narrative. Well, remind us of the severity of this disease for those who get it really bad. Right. So, I mean, right now we think the infection fatality rate, that is the fraction of everyone who gets it who will die, is between 0.5 and 1%, which doesn't sound like a high number, but it is a high number. With the flu, a bad case of the flu is 0.1%. So even the most conservative estimates for this disease makes it several times more fatal than the flu. More importantly, if you get it, you have a very high chance of having some long-term illnesses, whether it's lung scarring, some cardiovascular issues. We have people who are struggling months after recovering from this disease. So young people do get it, and they do struggle with it, and some have died. And more importantly, well, not more importantly, but you know, in addition, they will give it to other people. This is certain. Uh, we have this, again, this narrative that young people cannot get it or pass it on. That's not true. They may get it less so, and they may pass it on less so, but they will definitely do so to some extent. And when scaled up to a population level, this means deaths in the hundreds, if not thousands. I want to ask you about uh, stage three. Are we ready here in Toronto and Peel region for stage three based on uh, events like we had on the weekend? If you'd asked me this a couple of weeks ago, I would have said that you're trending in the right direction. And a couple of weeks ago, I said the entire province was ready. I don't think so anymore. Um, Our reproduction number, that's the average number of cases produced by an old case, is now above one in the province, which is not good. And these, these behaviors in parties and bars is not convincing me that we have learned the lesson. I'm fond of saying that our number one priority right now should be to make it safe to open schools safely in the fall. Mm -hmm. And the number one way of doing so is to drive the number of cases in the community into single digits or less. Parties like this do not serve that function. And that causes me to think, well, maybe we're not ready as a society to take on these responsibilities, because this is ultimately all about individual responsibility. Can we be responsible enough to take care of each other and to make the community safe? Dr. Ray Dianandon is with us. Uh, Brenda and Stony Creek, you have a comment. Go ahead. Hi, Brenda. You're on Fight Back. Go oh, ahead. Hi. You're- thank you. Thank you so much. 
My comment again is long-term care and not getting close to our loved ones or with the fall season coming, we all know as colds and flus, so if we don't get at it in July, which is almost over, or August, our chance of ever getting close to hug our loved one, hold their hand, is, is getting very, very limited. Yeah, that's, um, it goes back, Dr. Ray, it goes back to the incentive, right, to get people to act responsibly regardless of their age. I, I liken it to the marshmallow test, you know, the famous test. If you give a kid a marshmallow and say, you can eat it now or wait an hour, I'll give you two. <laughs> can you wait an hour for the return on investment, right? It, can we adopt a delayed gratification mindset? As a society, if we can hold back our need to socialize now, it means we can keep our society open longer so that we can visit our grandparents in, in the long-term care centers. We can keep our economy open. This is a population-level marshmallow experiment. Uh, that's, that's what it comes down to. Can we be responsible? What do you think uh, the conversations sound like right now between uh, the Provincial Medical Officer of Health, Dr. David Williams, uh, the various medical officers of health across the province and various municipalities and cities? What are they weighing here? You bring up about the schools. Does it make more sense to stay in stage two, keep the bars closed with the hope that we can open the schools full time in September? I'm sympathetic to the province. They have to listen to the epidemiologists and the medical professionals as well as the economic uh, professionals given the economic indicators. So my feeling is that the schools are important because if parents go back to work, they need a place to send their kids. If not, they cannot go back to work. One parent stays home, usually the mother. And we can't sustain that long-term as a society. At the same time, we cannot sustain kids being home long-term as a society either. I'm hoping... What they're talking about is, can we dial back the province to stage two or some elements of stage two to keep the more luxurious elements closed, like bars and Mm -hmm. things like that, while at the same time convincing people not to socialize at home as much so that we can keep the economy open? That has to be their priority. And I'm... I know for a fact that that conversation is actually happening in some circles. I don't know what indicators they're using to drive that conversation, though. And and what about the precautions and restrictions that are being asked of the province by Mayor Tory, Mayor Brown, Mayor Crombie uh, for the next stage three? Is Is there a hybrid solution here? There are some hybrid solutions on the table, among them different regional approaches, you know, opening up some sectors, not others. And it should be heterogeneous. Every community has a different set of challenges. It's unfair to ask a community with almost no cases to follow the same stringent parameters as, say, you know, downtown Windsor that has a more heavy load. So, um, yeah, everything should be on the table, including spending a lot of money to make it safe, because that's an investment that will pay its dividends with an open economy. That's, that's part of the narrative that's missing, is that, uh, yes, it costs a lot of money, for example, to make schools safe, but the price of not doing so is possibly a shuttered economy for the next several months. We always appreciate your insight. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. Dr. Ray Dianandon, epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. And his suggestion, be heroic, stay home. It's, it's a temporary solution so that we can all hug our loved ones sooner. If you didn't get through today, and it was a busy day on the phone, so thank you so much for calling. If you didn't get through, remember our fight back voicemail is always open, 416 367 
416-367-9636. And I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.